January heralds a brand new year and a new beginning. January supposedly takes its name from Janus, the mythical Roman god of beginnings, entrances, departures, and transition. Janus supposedly guarded the gates of heaven. To enter heaven or even into the presence of other gods required access through Janus. For those of you who are more familiar with the modern gods of the Marvel movies, Janus was like Heimdall, the guardian of Asgard, who stood on the Rainbow Bifrost Bridge, allowing or denying access to those who would enter. Janus had two faces. With the old bearded face, he looked over the past, and with the younger face, he peered into the future. In some ways, the image of Janus's face compares to the two images of an old man and a baby who represent the old year that is passing and the new year beginning. Because he was a god of beginnings, Janus became the ancient symbol for making resolutions, and with good reasons. Resolutions often derive from looking over the past to review our successes and our perceived failures, whether within our own person or in our accomplishments. And once we have done this, we look forward to the year ahead and consider how we might overcome those flaws, build on our successes, or achieve some new goal. And these envisioned improvements become our resolutions. And through them, we hope to improve our lives in some important way. However, because so few persist in them, some consider resolutions as wasted and futile efforts. In fact, in terms of persisting in a resolution, it has been noted that after the first week, 25% have given up, and by the end of the second week, the figure is close to 30%, and by February, nearly half have failed and given up. I wonder where you are today with your resolution. It is no wonder then that Oscar Wilde held such a dim view of resolutions. In his book, The Picture of Dorian Gray, he placed the following words on the lips of Lord Henry Wotton. Good resolutions are useless attempts to interfere with scientific laws. Their origin is pure vanity, and their result is absolutely nil. They give us now and then some of those luxurious, sterile emotions that have a certain charm for the weak. And he concluded, they are simply checks that men draw on a bank where they have no account. For Watton, resolutions were useless exercises. However, whether a resolution is useless or worthwhile depends on the worthiness of the perceived goal. In the scripture that was read, Paul seemed to make a resolution. 
but his is not for a given year. It is lifelong and of infinite worth. True to the spirit of Janus, Paul's resolution involved a look at the past and a push towards a glorious future. In verse 13, Paul spoke about forgetting the things that are past. But clearly he hasn't forgotten these things in the conventional sense of the word. He is keenly aware of his past life and chronicles the many realities in which he once took pride and which he believed commended him to God. Paul was a privileged Jew with an exemplary pedigree, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He exemplified ritualistic and ceremonial conformity to Jewish regulations. He was a Pharisee who exhibited strict adherence to the law leading to a supposedly flawless, faultless righteousness. And he was zealous for the Jewish faith and this drove him to seek to destroy anything that rivaled or corrupted its faith. Strange as it may seem, Paul's words about the past and the things he left behind reminds me of a scene from the 1958 initial episode of The Rifleman, which was written by the famous writer and film director, Sam Peckinpah. I know that perhaps that is a, a little bit too far back for some of you. However, in the first epi episode, Chuck Connors, who plays the role of Lucas McCain and his son Mark, have traveled from their former home to start a new life in New Mexico. Their old life has been somewhat bitter because McCain's wife and Mark's mother had died, leaving them alone. As they peered over a rich New Mexico valley that would become their new home, Mark, somewhat forlornly, looks back. And his father said to him, no looking back. We have come too far. And to this, Mark replied, I was not really looking back. I was remembering back. To McCain, it seems to look back impedes forward progress. It is looking back that turns many of us into useless and immovable pillars of salt. And whether the backward glance involves taking pride in our privileged standing or our prestigious accomplishments, whether it involves a dance with nostalgia or with overwhelming grief, suffering, and loss, it is the backward look that captivates and can get one stuck in the past, hindering the movement into a new reality. With good reason, many of us can get stuck in this past year. This past year, we have dealt with the COVID-19 pandemic, racial injustice, political upheaval, riots, and the burning of buildings in different parts of this country. Indeed, with all of these events, it has seemed that the world has been turned upside down, driven by a frenzy of madness. And we have suffered greatly, haven't we? 
We have watched loved ones die, and sometimes they have died alone with no one or very few to mourn their loss. And we have had lockdowns that have restricted movements and left us bereft of familiar companions in our homes and in our churches. And some of you have wrestled with the physical ramifications of COVID-19. And along with this has come the emotional consequences of loneliness and depression and anxiety. And furthermore, in our churches and in our educational institutions, we have had to do work in different and unaccustomed ways. And as much as Zoom has been a blessing for most, we've also experienced Zoom fatigue. And all of this has contributed to overwhelming stress. And it shows. Maybe some of you today are very much aware of all of those issues and those things and those events that have brought stress into your life. This past year, the American Psychological Association put out its annual report about stress in America. Unsurprisingly, stress has escalated greatly during this time. In fact, 78% of the people in this study indicated that the coronavirus pandemic has been a significant source of stress. And 77% said that the future of the country was a significant source of stress for them. And all age groups experience stress, but those who were most significantly impacted were Generation Z, those who are 18 to 23. And they had the highest level of stress followed by people in that age group, 24 to 41, who are called millennials. And many people in this country, in this community, fall into these two cohorts. And next were the Generation Xers, those who are 42 through 55. And the boomers and the older adults showed the lowest level of stress. I think those Gen Zers and Millennials and Generation X applies to many people in our community. So we know that you've been hurting, you've been stressed, you've been depressed, you've been anxious. Perhaps it's because of these problems and the enormous challenges to life and faith that you will understand what I mean when I say that a look back at that kind of a year can paralyze us and impede our progress into the future. As we think back about this past year, it's very possible that we can become paralyzed with fear as we step into this new year with all of its new opportunities. Indeed, Looking back may cause us to view the future with a jaundiced eye and with a sense of gloom and helplessness. Perhaps remembering back represents something different. It does not involve forgetting our past and the events that have transpired. However, 
I like to think that remembering back does not bind us to the past so that we are rendered incapable of looking to and entering the future with hope. So in this passage, I actually think Paul is remembering back. He remembered his privileges as a Pharisee. He remembers his status as a Pharisee that had made him a spiritual elite who could gloat about his pedigree. But in remembering back, he came to see things for what they really were. In the kingdom of God, these things that, rise, that, that rank high in the estimation of men and women count for nothing. For this reason, the things in which he formerly exalted, he now disparages, counting them as so much garbage. Paul's radical change of values and his new perspective on religion strikes me somewhat like Wesley's statement about the righteousness of a Pharisee. In his words taken from the fourth discourse of the Sermon on the Mount, Wesley equated doing no harm, doing good, and attending the ordinance of God with the religion of a Pharisee. It's a religion that is purely based on externals, and it avails nothing. None of its activities are valuable unless they spring from internal dispositions of the heart, such as poverty of spirit and mourning, meekness, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, the love of God and of our neighbor, and purity of heart. Paul demonstrates this very same view Mere external righteousness avails nothing. And as I thought about these varied characteristics in which Paul formally exalted, it led me to wonder about the things within our community in which we might place our confidence. I think that we sometimes place a rather shaky confidence in having left everything to follow God's call. And surely we believe this should count for something. And we may even place great value on the things we do for God. And in the process of doing, we fail to engage the disciplines that enhance our relationship with Christ and which transforms us into his image. In short, placing confidence in pedigree or accomplishments for God do not matter unless they spring from a heart totally given over to God. I believe it is this remembering back that allows us to make resolutions as we move forward. What is the essence of resolving as we look to the future? I believe it starts with making a resolution that is actually worth pursuing as we move through this new year. Paul had such a resolution, and it is reflected in our text. Paul's goal-driven resolution statement comes in uh, verses 13 through 14. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards whatever is ahead, I press on towards the goal 
to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Here the prize is clearly visible, and like an athlete in a race, Paul fixed his eyes on the prize and ran with all the strength and determination he could muster. The image reminds me of a runner who is leaning as much as possible as they approach the finish line. Heaven is in view, but there's something else that is worth so much more. In reality, his statement here seems like a sort of summary. Paul had already highlighted in his goal in earlier verses, and the sum total of all those statements point to Christ. Paul's goal is to win Christ, to know Christ, to know him in all of his resurrection power and his suffering. Knowing Christ in his resurrection power means that his, that power so infuses our life that we live as brand new creatures. And this seems very similar to an image that Paul struck in Colossians chapter 3. There he called risen saints to a holy way of living that characterize every aspect of their lives and which leaves the former old life behind. And to know him in his sufferings is to be willing to follow him at all costs, even if we suffer in the process. Furthermore, I would suggest that to know him goes beyond mere head knowledge. It involves the most intimate kind of knowing. Christ is the precious pearl of matchless price. And when we find him, if we are wise, we are willing to sell all that we hold dear to gain him. This is the lifelong resolution that is truly worth pursuing. It involves seeking full maturity in Christ. And this type of resolution is one that we should pursue with a singular vision. It's a resolution that is worth pursuing each day, every day, and for the rest of our lives. Nevertheless, given the events of this past year, another question comes to my mind. And this text might, in fact, provide some answer to this question. The question is, how do we make resolutions for the future even when we are remembering back to the difficulties of this past year? Pure and simple, the answer lies in looking to Christ. Because looking to Christ can foster hope as we look to the future. Even while we are mindful of the present circumstances and the possibility of some continuation into this year, with Christ, we can have hope. Even when life seems at its darkest, looking to Christ can furnish us with light and hope. And contrary to Lord Henry Wotton's statement about resolutions, resolving to pursue and know Christ fully and find in him a living hope is a check. But it's a check that is unlike all other checks. 
It's a check that is legal tender. You can take it to the bank and there you will find all sufficient funds. And in him, you will find all sufficient resources to meet all circumstances that life brings your way. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angel nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? If you believe that, let's vigorously seek to know him this year, not only for future glory, but for Christ himself and for our hope that stands firm in this present darkness. Amen.